0: when you were 18, you started out as a fan, and you, the sports writer introduced you to Billy Wolf. Yes. Okay. And you said Billy never came to see you train,
1: he just... Right, all Billy did was take me upstairs and put me in the ring, put me in a suit, put me in a ring, in the ring with between seven, eight, maybe nine girls. Told them to teach me a little bit, see what I had, and left me with them for about an hour. They did teach me, the very first thing they taught me was to fall. Fall forward, fall backward, and to roll with the fall. If, I'm fall. if I'm pushed to fall forward and I see that I'm going to fall on my head, tuck my head in and roll with it. Those were things that they taught me. But they beat me up in the process because they made sure that I did fall and that I fell legitimately.
0: Welcome to another edition of Lady Wrestler: the story behind the story. This podcast gives you insights into the issues explored in the documentary Lady Wrestler: the amazing untold story of African-American women in the ring. My name is Chris Bourne and I directed the documentary and obviously I'm the host of this podcast. So what I'm doing for this episode, which is a bonus episode, is I'm giving you a little bit of extra content so that clip that you heard at the beginning was wrestling legend ethel brown that clip is not in the documentary and at the end of this podcast i will give you another clip of ethel brown and i'll also tell you about a hilarious well i think it's hilarious now in retrospect story about when i went to interview ethel brown in the atlanta area and this funny mishap that happened that uh you know, only in retrospect is hilarious. So before I get to that, though, I wanted to share another anecdote with you. And the reason why I'm releasing this bonus episode is because in the previous episode, episode seven, I shared behind the scenes stories of the making of Lady Wrestler. And I left out that story about going to Atlanta to interview Ethel Brown. And there's another story that I didn't share in that episode that I would like to share now. And this actually doesn't have to do with the making of Lady Wrestler. It is about the screening and the promotion of Lady Wrestler because anytime you make a movie, the making of it is just one component of it. Of course, the distribution and getting to getting people to watch the movie is, is a huge, huge part of the, the process. So what happened was before Lady Wrestler had even been released on Amazon. Um, I had people contacting me um, asking me to host screenings. Now, of course, when people asked me to host in-person screenings, that was before COVID. So I had successful screenings of Lady Wrestler in in my hometown of Columbus, Ohio at the Wexner Center for the Arts, which provided all the post-production for the documentary. I just have to give them a huge shout out and and mention them every time I can, especially my good friend, Paul Hill, who did all the editing. and sound mixing, and I narrated the documentary, so he, Paul actually recorded me in a sound booth at the Wexner Center for the Arts. So anyway, I had these two successful screenings in 2019 in New York. Big shout out to Warrington Hudlin, who um, invited me to screen at the Museum of the Moving Image in New York, as well as another successful screening later in 2019 in Philadelphia. And actually the plan was to have screenings all over the world, um, you know, because people as far away as you know, Europe were contacting me about the documentary and about this, what I think is a fascinating chapter of history, you know, it does not have anything to do with me per se. It's, it's, it's the subject matter, which I understand is really interesting. The fact that these African-American women who were superstar wrestlers back in the day unfortunately faded into obscurity and i'm glad their story is now getting out there in december of 2019 i had a screening in a midwestern city that's close to columbus and i don't want to say what city it is because i don't want to you know throw shade at any of the wrestling fans in this particular city but no one showed up at this screening i mean new york is you know like eight or nine hours away from Columbus. Um, Philadelphia is, a you know, another big city that's even further away than New York. And we had great turnout in both those cities, but a city closer to home, you know, only a couple people showed up, you know, and I'm always grateful for anyone to show up and to be able to see the documentary, of course, and to learn about these women. But it's really disheartening when you put all this work into trying to promote a screening and renting the room and I even had to drive to this city to physically rent this room at this uh, at this place, the uh, the place where we had the screening because unfortunately the place didn't allow for for bookings that could take place online or over the phone. I had to physically drive to this facility, which was hours and hours and hours away from my home. So taking all that into account, it was just really disheartening when no one showed up, and it may have been because it was close to the holidays, so people were kind of distracted and doing other things, which I, which I understand. Anyway, it turned out to be a blessing in disguise that no one showed up because I had rented. I would actually purchased, rather, a screen and a projector because I didn't want to have to rely on a facility having a screening and projector every time I wanted to show the movie. So I went and bought my own screen and projector. So we I set up. At the facility at this at this city, and um everything was going smoothly. We went ahead and showed the movie with a couple people who showed up. And then, like three-fourths of the way through the movie, it just cut off. And what I had not realized was that in transferring the movie to my laptop from a, you know, from the big storage drive that where I had this huge file, you know, that houses the movie, um, I hadn't adequately transferred it to my laptop. So something got lost in the translation. And luckily the two people who were at the screening were really cool. And they said they wanted to learn more about the documentary and, you know, to let them know when the, when the full length version was available for them to, to buy or, or rent or so they could see the whole movie. Thank God I didn't have a whole huge auditorium or screening room full of people because that would have been hugely embarrassing and a really poor reflection, you know, on me. So sometimes when things seem like they're not working out, actually sometimes there is a silver lining. And another interesting little technical mishap that happened at that screening was, you know, I always try to be prepared and professional and have a backup plan. So I had actually anticipated that, you know, there might be some kind of technical glitch, but um, what happened was I had transferred the documentary to a DVD not a professional DVD, just like a, you know, basically a data disc that I, I could put in my computer's disc drive as a backup in case the version on, you know, on the hard drive of my laptop wouldn't work. Um, kind of, as I said, anticipating that some some technical difficulty may happen. So during the screening, when the movie cut off, I thought, okay, well, you know, this is kind of embarrassing, but I'll just go ahead and play the version that I brought on the DVD, you know, it'll be. It we'll take a little, you know, intermission. That'll give time people to get up and, you know, go to the restroom and mingle a little bit. Um, the couple people that were there, but the disc actually got stuck. The D, the data disc actually got stuck in the disc drive of my computer. So I had a backup plan, but I wasn't able to execute that backup plan because the disc got caught in my laptop. Um, and I mean, it stayed in there for months and months and months because I kept telling myself, okay, I need to take my laptop to the computer store and have them fix my disk drive and get this disk that, you know, that's been lodged in, in there repaired. And I kept putting it off and putting it off and kind of forgetting about it because you know, I'm someone, I use my computer every single day. So I was trying to figure out what is a backup plan? What, you know, it's not like I have another computer that I can just you know, pull out of the air when my computer is tied up for, you know, days or weeks at a time being repaired. So I had kept procrastinating, getting the disk drive fixed. But one day, it, I, I forget what happened. I think I had like was moving my laptop to my from my desk to an, like another surface. I was gonna go work somewhere, either another like room in my home, or I was gonna go like to a coffee shop or something to work. And the disk just slipped out and Fortunately, the disc drive still worked perfectly fine, but after months and months procrastinating getting the disc drive repaired, the disc just slipped out on its own. So that was another little happy accident. So now to the story of interviewing wrestling legend Ethel Brown in Atlanta. And I cannot stress enough how lovely and sweet and wonderful Ethel Brown was, how patient she was with me. When I was making this documentary, I was basically, except for a couple of shoots where I had um where I had a small crew, where my friend Paul Hill from the Wexner Center, who was also the editor, um, he ran camera, and a mutual friend of ours, another filmmaker named April Martin, also ran camera. But for most of the shoots I did, I was a one-man band running camera and sound. So that that was the case when I went, I want to say it was August of 2010, when I drove from Columbus, Ohio down to Atlanta, which is like a nine hour drive to interview um, Ethel Brown. So lovely, such a lovely woman. What she added to the documentary was really special. So after I got through interviewing her and she introduced me to her family afterward and was just so gracious, such a lovely woman. Cannot emphasize that enough. First of all, I stupidly thought that I could just, cause it was on a weekend. I thought, okay, well I'll just kind of drink a bunch of coffee, although coffee doesn't really have much of an effect on me for some reason. I thought I'll go ahead and, and drive down to Atlanta and then drive back all in the same day. I thought maybe I'll, you know, grab a cat nap at a rest stop. And um, like I said, fuel up on coffee, even though it doesn't have an effect on me, but I was just way too sleepy, way too tired um, after we did the interview. Cause it just, you know, it takes a lot out of you setting up and, you know, asking questions and asking follow-up questions and making sure all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed. So I drove around and around and around the area in Georgia trying to find, um, a, you know, a cheap motel because I hadn't planned to spend money on a on a hotel or a motel. And somehow I almost got lost on this like back road in Georgia. It looked like it literally looked like something out of the Dukes of Hazard. I mean, it was like just country roads I mean, I was really, you know, being an African-American, I was, I started kind of getting nervous because it was getting dark by the time I completed the interview with Ethel Brown, I kind of started to get nervous, like, oh my God, I've stumbled into like, you know, excuse this term, redneck country, and something bad could happen to me if I get caught out here in the middle of nowhere at night, you know, who knows what could happen, a Black man by himself, even even in the 21st century, you know, we still have major problems with race, obviously, but all turned out well for the most part. I found this cheap little motel. And when I say cheap, it was really cheap. So I went to this. I went to my room and was ready to just pass out as soon as I got my key in, in, to my room and stuff. Being August, it was really humid, really hot. And I, tr- I tried to find an air conditioner. I thought, you know, because even the cheapest motel will have like a little room air conditioner. I couldn't find it. So I slept... I mean, I was just pouring sweat. I mean, because this room, it either didn't have a window or the window was like really small and wouldn't open. I I can't imagine it didn't have a window. It must have just had a, a really small window that was like hard to open. I mean, I sweated and sweated and I'm normally a sound sleeper, especially when I'm tired. But I mean, I just kept waking up, just feeling miserable. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm really suffering from my art, you know, being all dramatic and everything. And so then the next morning, you know, I'm tired because I haven't really slept that well. And then as I'm leaving the uh, motel room, I noticed there's a room air conditioner mounted, like somewhere that was like really inconspicuous that I had totally missed. And I don't know why I just didn't go to the front desk and say, hey, you know, I'm really burning up. Do you have another room with an air conditioner? And they could have told me, oh, there is an air conditioner in your room. But here I am in hot Atlanta, literally hot Atlanta, as they call it, burning up for absolutely no reason. There was an air conditioner in the room, didn't even realize the air conditioner was in the room. And I was too tired and too lazy to go up to the front desk to ask them, you know, to give me a room with an air conditioner or show me where the air conditioner was in the room that I booked. So that's just one of those little mishaps on the adventure of guerrilla filmmaking that happens. But I wanted to leave you with another clip from the interview with Ethel Brown, another previously unreleased clip that you cannot see in the documentary, just to give you a little bonus in this episode. And we will be back next week with the next official episode exploring why my hometown of Columbus, Ohio became the birthplace of the golden age of women's wrestling. How Billy Wolf, the notorious wrestling promoter ended up settling in Columbus with his wife, the first world women's wrestling champion, Mildred Burke. And how African-American women, like those whom I interviewed in the documentary, Ethel Johnson and Ramona Isbell, and Ethel's sisters, Babs Wingo and Marva Scott, they were Columbus natives, and how they ended up joining Billy Wolf's organization. So we'll explore that in the next episode. Thank you so much for watching and listening to this bonus episode of the Lady Wrestler podcast. And again, as I ask you every week, please rate and review us on itunes spotify or stitcher if you're watching this on youtube please subscribe if you haven't already and give us a thumbs up because all these things leaving a review subscribing you know leaving a thumbs up on youtube for the video liking the video it helps more people to discover the podcast and for more people to to find out about these fabulous amazing trailblazing women which of course is the whole goal of the documentary in the first place Thanks so much. And we'll catch you next week with the next regular episode. Take care.
1: If I couldn't just stand up and fall forward, they would give me a push or they would grab my arm and throw me. Uh, Anyway, I had about an hour of that. And then uh, they called it quits and they quit for the evening. So I got dressed and I went home and the next morning I could hardly get out of bed. but I did get up, and I did get dressed, and it was really hard getting all the way downtown to Billy's office, but I had to walk up three, three flights of stairs, and up I went, all three, just as if nothing had happened. And I wouldn't have let them know for the world that I was just so sore I could hardly walk. But Billy was really proud. He decided then that he would take me, and he would teach me. And uh, he never came to see a match, even, Except one time when I wrestled Nell. And that was because Nell was his wife. I don't think he ever saw me wrestle any other time.